0: you're listening to marvel's pull list for new comics on sale november 13 2019 i'm ryan aka agent m
1: and i'm tucker Marcus.
0: and every week we run you through all the new comics that come out all the print issues some digital stuff tucker how you doing oh i'm good how about you good we just filmed our video version for our previews episode the february solicits
1: yeah i'm gonna need a second to adjust the energy that i have
0: not contentious yeah. talking over yeah. each other energy but
1: also like very slight new jersey guy patois you know you were hitting it there i was <laughs> enjoying it i was like oh
0: yeah this is good <laughs> that video should be up right now as you're listening to this yeah uh in fact producer jorge just told us breaking news here tucker <laughs> That's right. The episode, the audio for it will be included in the Marvel's pull list feed, which is a great idea. I don't know why we haven't done that before. Yeah. yeah. I guess sometimes the, the gags are more visual. Yeah. You know, the things we do, especially when we did the the late night show episode.
1: Yes. You know, so many like for the sure.
0: cutaways and, and throwing things. But I think this one will yeah. work.
1: Yeah. This one is meant to be a radio show. So it works perfectly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We're kind of like doing it this way, full stop. I know. How do we not do that again just for a regular episode? I know. (laughs) It's really fun. (laughs) Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. What also is a good time are all the new comics out this week. Let's start things off with Age of Conan Valeria number four. This is written by Meredith Finch, with art by Anike, colors by Andy Troy, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This one is the penultimate issue of the limited series. We get to see Valeria starting to put all the pieces together, figure out who is responsible for the murder of her brother, and really setting her down the path that she's been on. There's a cool little allusion to Conan in here. There's, of course... Valeria being badass and cool and ferocious and she's like injured and still climbing a wall and plotting death and doom. And I am excited to see where it goes at the end. The pro story in here is the fourth part of the fall of Thoth Amon. I'm loving this pro story so much. And it took a turn. I was like, oh, is this this what his story is? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, moving on to Agents of Atlas number four. This is written by Greg Pock, Art by Nico Leone and Pop Mahan. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Man, I love this book so much. Yeah. It's just, there's something poppy and fun and quippy and fast moving. It's just, in some ways, reminds me of The Good Place mm. in just like a forward momentum Fun characters, great little bits of dialogue, Yeah, obviously has nothing to do with a good place. This is about <laughs> the Agents of Atlas, a group of heroes of Asian descent who are coming together to figure out what's going on with the city of Pan. There's dragons, there's smooching, there's handholding. There's actually a conversation I'm looking at right here, which has Wave talking with Luna Snow. And it's something that I don't know that we've ever seen discussed in a Marvel comic. So Luna Snow... She gets a huge sum of money, $12 million. And then she's like, yeah, well, 5% goes to this person. 12% goes to another mm-hmm. Still, you can take 60% away of $12 million. You're still left with a lot of freaking money, right? Yeah, yeah. And so Wave is like, I just got $7,000. <laughs> and that's money that has changed my life. Mm-hmm. As I talk about it, it feels like it's not a sexy, fun, like, ooh, Marvel right. Comics. But there's so much emotional intensity in this scene in a good way. I think it just crushes.
1: That was one of my favorite scenes in any comic this week. Yeah, it speaks to the power of, of Greg Pock's writing because it's like he can give any subject heart. He can give any conversation weight. That's like a perfect example of the kind of contrast of those two things. It's pretty awesome. Okay, my first book this week is my first pick of the week. It's Black Cat Annual number 1. And it's actually funny. I didn't look at the credits for this book until after I had already read it, Mm -hmm. and then I looked at the credits and was like, of course... Of course it's written by Jed McKay. And the art on this is by Joey Vasquez, Tacha Bustos, and Juan Gideon, with colors by Brian Reber and letters by Ferran Delgado. And why I say, of course, is because it's just full of energy. Each scene just seems like to go by in a flash, but in the best way. It's so light. It's bouncy. It's fun. It never loses its energy. It never loses its, its momentum or speed or, or anything like that. But, yeah, it's such a fun story in this, like, nice little self-contained issue that once I started reading it, it felt like it was over before, you know, I, I really even knew it hit me in the best way. It's like, uh, you know, a, a perfect testament to everything I love about this creative team. And next up, I have Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda. This is written by Jim Zub with pencils by Lan Medina, inks by Craig Young, colors by Marcio Meniz with Federico Blee, and letters in production by VCs Joe Sabino. The way this series is working is every two issues is kind of a new arc. We have a new arc. The story continues. Obviously, the threads uh, and the major themes continue on throughout you know the entire story. But in the first two issues, we were looking at Bob Reynolds, the Sentry, uh, aka the Void, aka the mixture of the two that he is right now. And All right, what
0: f- name would you give him? The, the oh. Soiden Tree. Soy- yeah,
1: Void Void Tree. The ven- Vendred Bob Bob Void. Bob. Bob Void. Bob Void. Okay, Uh, we're uh, with Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda now, of course. One of the obstacles that uh, this team is coming up against is the Gardener, which is really cool, and it's a character that I guess we don't get to see that often.
0: Last scene, because I love the Gardener. I love the Elders of the Universe. I have petitioned for the Gardener. I think I convinced (laughs) Jerry Duggan to put the Gardener in his Guardians of the Galaxy run, (laughs) which is the last time we saw the Gardener.
1: There you go. Anyway, this issue takes place largely in space. and that's kind of the I don't want to say too much about what goes on in space but I will say that this is a really fun felt like mashup of genres in a bunch of different ways because it feels like there's a bunch of different influences that all weave together really perfectly the art is awesome and there's like so much opportunity for different like visual exploration of how different things there's like a lot of clean lines in there with a bunch of the spaceships and like spacesuits and a bunch of things like that and then there's a bunch of less clean lines and that's all I'll say as well but they're not pulling any punch with this book that's kind of the great thing about these like little mini arc things that they're doing is because you just immediately get straight into the action and yeah i think it it works perfectly for a team in a story like this
0: two things one this prominently features brew the uh, mutant brood who was a member of wolverine and the x-men comics which i love i want to know is brew going to go to krakoa He's not a human mutant, but he is a mutant. Like, will he be able to even go through a gate? That's a question that ran through my head while I was reading this. I need to know. And then second, that issue features Mockingbird. And if you are missing some Mockingbird, this is a book and she's awesome in it.
1: Okay, next up we have Fallen Angels number one. Entering the Dawn of X here, this is written by Brian Hill with art by Simon Kodransky, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is an interesting one for me, and it feels like a major departure in a lot of ways from the other Dawn of X books. What have we had so far? We have X-Men number one. We had uh, X-Force, Excalibur. Uh, We've
0: had New Mutants.
1: And New Mutants, right. And and then this week we We have have Fallen Angels and X-Men number two. It's really interesting to see what the Dawn of X is shaping out to be. And Fallen Angels occupies a, a unique space within that. And I think for me, like the title says a lot because it kind of feels like this book in certain ways occupies more of, like, the liminal space or, like, some more of the shadows of what's going on with the Dawn of X. When light is cast, shadows are created. Whoa! <laughs> That's not a quote. Um, <laughs> but hey, I, I I don't really know a better way to describe it, which is why I'm describing it so poorly, but, like, look, this issue follows Quanon, who is obviously going on her own journey, you know, in relation to... The moniker of Psylocke, which is where we, you know, find her now, and her relationship to obviously not just the rest of mutant kind, but her own past. And there's a really fantastic scene here with Magneto that I really loved. But it is a really interesting and challenging book in kind of the best way for me. That was something that I was super, super excited to see Brian Hill writing one of these Don of X books because I'm such a massive fan of his. Obviously, you are too. Um, Killmonger. Killmonger. You ain't
0: read it yet. You're doing everything wrong. That are feels Killmonger?
1: like Yeah, that feels like one thing where it's like, Writes Killmonger, boom! All right, you're on the All Star team now. Like, you know, welcome to the Dawn of X. Do what you want. Quit everything else. Yeah, yeah. Killmonger's uh, the best. It was that good. But there, there's really, really interesting stuff going on here that ties to everything else going on in kind. And I think also when I talk about shadows, I talk about the kind of like water that's flowing between the rocks of the of the X side of the universe. Is like, I think a lot of that is down to Simon Kudranczy's art. Simon Kadransky worked on a ton, if not all, of Matt Rosenberg's. Not all. It was Guyu Villanova
0: yeah, yeah. early on, and yeah. then, yeah, Simon.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he brought such a beautiful, brooding, dark, scratchy energy to that. And that is another one of those things. I talked about this last week. That I'm loving to see with the Dawn of X is the how like the platform of House of X and Powers of Ten has been built upon visually because certain books have adopted a style that looks a little bit more like that. Other ones have been departures in their own unique ways. And this one is definitely kind of the same. It's an interesting mixture of that influence plus Simon Kadrancy's clear, like noir influence, like these these really deep blacks and the, you know, from which the color kind of pops off of it. It's really interesting and it's super, super cool. I personally didn't have that much knowledge of quantum going into this experience but getting to know her getting to know her backstory which is a huge part of her story and seeing that how that impacts everything now and moving forward is really really interesting i think this is one of those books to watch because of of all the mystery that still surrounds it even as you read this first issue it's super super intriguing stuff
0: heck yeah all right, up next is Future Foundation number four. This one is written by Jeremy Whitley, art by Alti Fermansia, colors by Triona Farrell, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. There's a piece in here that I was like, oh, We're all around the maker. The maker is the big bad of this series right now. And uh, there's a piece right at the end. I was like, okay. Things are starting to, like, pull into place. The The whole Molecule Man of it all is starting to... That, that thread being pulled was really cool. There's scrolls. There's rock creatures. There's Dragon Man. Dragon Man, I love <laughs> me some Dragon Man. There's lots of fun action in here. It's cool to see this team of kids come together, facing off against terrifying villains like... People eating creatures and. Yeah,
1: some of the action here is really visceral. Yeah, yeah. Very much. Very so. surprising. Uh, really cool. Next up, we have Guardians of the Galaxy number 11. This is written by Donnie Cates with pencils by Corey Smith, inks by Victor Olizaba, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. One of the things that I found in common with a bunch of books this week was, like I just mentioned, like really visceral battles and like action scenes because sometimes we get action scenes and we've seen it in guardians that are like these giant epic space fights mm. that feel like they really are like filling up the like nothingness of space with just like so much action and energy and and color but one of the things that i found this week was a bunch of like really visceral down and dirty personal point of view like sprinting through people getting like like knocked over and punched out and like all these things like just trying to like make their way to from point a to point b and that was really it was really cool and it was really cool to see obviously what that means in guardians of the galaxy as we sprint towards the end of this run which makes donnie's run ending with issue 12 makes this the penultimate issue so everything that's been going on in here and specifically or I guess specifically to Donnie, everything that's been going on in kind of his corner of Marvel Cosmic, I guess, from Silver Surfer Black to Thanos Wins to Guardians of the Galaxy and, and and others, there's a bunch still happening here. There are really big emotional beats in this story that if you've read, you know, some of Donnie's stuff, if you read Silver Surfer Black, for example, you you're definitely familiar with that were really, really cool, like, Heartbreaking and just kind of breathtaking in, in, in a certain way where you're just like you you see as as things are happening, you're you're kind of like, Oh, it, it is that it's kind of shocking and obvious all at the same time and and, and I say that as a, a great compliment. I also really love everything that's going on with Rocket Raccoon at the moment. The which last page, is man. That quite, last page yeah, is so awesome and really like for me, yeah. With one quote, there's one thing that Rocket says, and it feels like it completely encapsulates that character in the best way, which is really, really cool to see. Yeah, Yeah. So
0: good. Yeah, Also, so good is History of the Marvel Universe number five. Surprise! Not one of my picks of the week, because I had to give it a break. I had to pull back. You know, but consider it an honorary pick of the week for me, because it is the greatest comic ever. Mm -hmm. This one is really interesting for me, looking at history, but it's all history that happened in the Marvel Universe, publishing-wise, while I was a professional. It starts out with Thunderbolts, which is important. It happens a little bit earlier than some of the other stuff, but then into New X-Men, which was going on when I was at Wizard, and then into the, you know, Jessica Jones, the Introduction to the Century, the Runaways, the formation of the New Avengers, you know, House of M, all these things that I remember reading and looking at from- being on a different side than just a fan yeah so seeing it retold in a way here is really cool really neat it's just like the stuff is i know so well yeah and then you look at just some of the the framing i'm looking at the page of house of m like
1: it's nuts s- you
0: could strip out mark wade's captions and it is the most perfect poster for house of m if this isn't a cover for a house of m collection. Then it should be. Like, it feels it's like bonkers.
1: Yeah, i I've been in, I've been lucky to be in one or two meetings over the course of my time at Marvel, where Joe Quesada has been talking to the comic editors about like, here are just some like art tips. Here's some things to look out for. Here's some things to inf- like make your books more Marvel. And that page for me, like the composition, like the way that the different elements occupy the space and lead your eye, it's like it's like a master class. It's yeah. an education. It's yeah. crazy. And then you flip
0: there's this double page spread telling civil war being such an important pivotal moment in Marvel Comics, and it gets two pages. And it's that same thing. It's the the way it is structured, and you have this giant Tony Stark on one side, this giant Captain America on the other, Peter Parker caught in the middle, and then there are two factions, and you get to see all the characters, the way they build everybody up, the little things, and then the color theory that is used to put it all together. Right. It is mind-blowing. I mean, I think I forgot to talk about the creative team because oh, I yeah. just got so <laughs> yeah, excited yeah. about this frigging book, yeah. but it is written by Mark Wade, but the pencils and colors by Javier Rodriguez, inks by Alvaro Lopez, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Just consistently, every issue, astound and delight me. And he and you know, like, it's not every page doesn't look the same. Every page doesn't have the same color palette. It yeah. fits with the story. You look at the Avengers versus X-Men page, and like, I remember being here for everything AVX, and it looks like all those books in that time period, and it's just magnificent. And then plus you also get the annotations if you want to read all the stories and how it ties into everything. It's just, man, it's just spectacular. They are making a large size version of uh, History of the Marvel Universe, which can I have to. I, if, if I don't get that for free, I'm gonna go out and buy that sucker. <laughs>
1: Now, moving from History of the Marvel Universe to Invaders, which is my second pick of the week. This is Invaders number 11. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Carlos Magno and Butch Geis. Colors by Alex Guimaraes and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This is the issue. This is it. It. This is like the, I don't know. This is, this is a big one. It kind of – this is the issue that kind of changes the series in a big way and it's completely like worthy of carrying that narrative weight because first of all, I think that the nature of this story of bouncing between the present and the past, between all these relationships, between these characters from Cap and Bucky to Human Torch to Namor and more is – kind of naturally lends its own like epic weight to the story because it covers such a big span of time it covers such serious subject matter of like in universe like the kind of the dawn of like the superhero age and like the coming of namor and like how like the rest of the superhero world reacted to that to like the real world of like world war ii and like everything that happened there with cap and bucky and so it kind of naturally has that but i don't want to say that in a way that's like well, of course, that's baked in the book. That's what this is it's always going to be that way. No, that's a result of Chip and this art team coming together and crafting that and, and telling this story that has so much potential to its potential. You know, I, I think this issue is absolutely one of my favorites of the series so far. And, you know, when we read issue number one of Invaders, I remember being like, whoa, this book has crazy depth it's so smart. it felt very mature in a not upcoming conversation about Punisher way but in a in a way that's just like it's really thoughtful it carries a lot of weight in every single page from like these characters, everything they've seen and the regret that they have and like all the decisions that have added up to where they are at, at present. I can't talk too much about the narrative in here uh, and what happens. Namor going nuts, and you know the the rest of the cast of characters responding in due course. But where it goes and where it all leads is like such an amazing climax because it it reaches this kind of like moment of catharsis or like realization where a breakthrough is made in a big way. And I'm I, I I don't want to say too much more, but it, it when that happens it's like whoa, so awesome, so cool in multiple different ways. Like on the surface level it is so cool in uh, I'm really walking a tightrope here, but like it's so cool on a superhero level, but on another level and everything that we've learned in this book, it's even more fascinating in a different way.
0: I mean, it, it it's it's interesting because it tells a story of friendship. Yeah. It tells a story of brotherhood that like military been through something no one will ever understand level of brotherhood, you know, you get your band, your band of brothers or those types of, you know, stories. And it pulls in some of that in ways that make you go, man, I just love these characters even more after like seeing just a couple of panels, a couple of pages, feeling those, those historical threads woven in on top of Friggin' Steve Rogers being just so cool. And like the reason he keeps sticking with Namor where he's like, he's like, I I can't, I, he's it's Namor. I gotta go try and deal with him to talk to him over and over again. And you, You feel the weight of all that. Mm -hmm. Everything that Namor is going through. Also on a superficial level, you know, you want shirtless Steve Rogers on a beach, full beard, just making it work, going fishing for him and his best friend. Beef king. All the beef (laughs) is all that. It's great. There's anger. There's friggin' Namor's amazing eyebrows. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love this. It's so excellent. Yeah. Like I said, one of my favorite issues of the series so far.
0: Yeah. It's tremendous. Another terrific issue, and my first pick of the week is Morbius the Living Vampire, number one, highly uh, anticipated, here we are, written by Vita Ayala, pencils by Marcelo Ferreira, inks by Roberto Poggi, colors by Dono Sanchez-Almara, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I remember the Marvel Live show that we do on Twitter with Angelique Rocher, and we had Vita on when we were doing it over the summer talking a little bit about morbius and stuff like that and it feels like forever ago since yeah. we started talking about yeah. the book yeah and so when it when i looked at my stack of books i was like yes morbius finally i had seen some of the pages that marcelo had been producing it is dark and gothic and nasty and gnarly and horrific and it's an interesting thing because the story sort of it does all of that But at the same time, it says, but we're not gone so far yet. Yeah. You know, it takes this route that isn't murder and mayhem with a vampire because that's not who Morbius is. And finding that humanity in in all of it has been such a cool part. Vita you know they do such great work we've been enjoying everything that they've been putting together but this morbius book is where i'm like yeah this is this is the juice right here yeah i'm also just continually astounded by the art it it hits this like it has a 70s vibe Partially because Morbius is this 70s character, I prefer he's got the deep V, the classic old school Morbius look, which is what I prefer. Not as much the, you know, 90s goth, you know, buckles and leather, which is great. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I'm here for the Deep V Morbius and taking that, give it a little bit of a 70s vibe, that a little bit of a Hammer Horror vibe. Then you spice it up with Vita's dialogue and action and everything that feels very much now, very much of the time at Marvel. Like It pops, it's exciting, introduction of this, of a character who's going after Morbius, all this other stuff. And then it, by the end, it just like takes it like a top and just spins it yeah. and says, all right, see where we go from here. Because the end is wild the last moment page i I imagine the script that vita put together is so gnarly and like okay we're gonna do this it's gonna be like this and then marcello comes and like cracks knuckles and is like all right
1: yeah it's so cool i was blown away by this art so so good and hey fun fact for poll listeners out there vita ayala once worked at a local comic shop here in new york with matt rosenberg Oh, yeah. How's that? At the
0: same time, yeah. I knew end, I knew they both work there. Yeah. Huh. That's the coolest. I love that. Yeah. Real quick, if you don't know anything about Morbius, if like, you know, you're like, ah, I don't know if I'm gonna pick up a Morbius book, I'm not sure who Morbius is. Michael Morbius was born with a rare blood disorder, seeking a cure. He devoted his life to medicine, became a Nobel Prize-winning researcher, but he grew impatient. He developed a new treatment using vampire bat DNA and electroshock therapy. As you do, <laughs> classic combo. Putting himself as the first test subject, and lo and behold, he gained the ability to fly, regenerate his uh, his body, great healing factor. He has a hypnotic stare, but also fangs. He's weaker in sunlight, and he likes <laughs> the blood. It's cool. He's sort of vampire. He was created partially in. Like reason because we couldn't do full vampires at the time. The Comics Code Authority would not allow it. So he's a living vampire. He's a science vampire, which got us able to skirt around the regulations and rules that were holding him back. But we end up getting a really cool character in in addition to the Marvel Universe.
1: So, so good.
0: Indeed. Also so good is Punisher Soviet number one. This is a Marvel Max book, kiddies. Do not read it if you are underage. Yeah. think of it as hard (laughs) R-rated, and uh, it's so good. It would be one of my picks of the week, but because it's R-rated, because it is a max book, I was like, all right, I'm not going to say it, but you know what? It's getting a little ding. I'm putting it in there. It is so freaking good. It's Garth Ennis back doing Punisher stories. Oh my gosh. It is pencils by Jason Burroughs, inks by Guillermo Ortega, colors by Nolan Woodard, and lettering by Rob Steen. I, I know Jason's name from a lot of projects. I don't know his work so well, but man, woo! He draws a hell of a Frank Castle. Really cool. There's certain angles where he puts him slightly in shadow where he's able to sort of outline his eyes and make him look darker and scarier and more menacing, which is awesome. This is a Punisher who is... In a real world setting, just taking it to mob guys and bad dudes, getting a little help from the cops, but someone else is doing essentially what the Punisher is doing. And everybody thinks it's the Punisher, but it's not the Punisher. He's like, huh, well, what's going on? And we get to see the story. There's these two paths coming together. If you just like pure Punisher doing his thing, figuring out what's going on, taking it to awful people, and can handle extremely gruesome scenes, this is your book. It's so good. And if you've never read any of Garth's like Punisher Max book, Jason Aaron's Punisher Max book, go out right now. Go get them. Go find them. They're on Comicsology, not Marvel's app. They're not on Marvel Unlimited because they are Max. They're at your comic shop. Go for them. Please. They're really good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now going from Punisher, we move on to Runaways, number 27. This is written by The Great Rainbow Rowell, with pencils by Chris Anka, inks by Chris Anka and Walden Wong, colors by Dee Cuniff and Jim Campbell, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is really, really fun. It's something when we first on social media and the website teased Doc Justice and the J-Team without – connecting it to runaways and people are like, what, who is this team? What's going on? And then revealing that, oh, it's just, it's the runaways as superheroes. It's so much fun to see this team kind of play in that area or flex those muscles or, you know, it's just so fun to see them do the full on masked, uniformed, caped superhero thing. And there's a, there's a really great bit in this book.
0: Oh, yeah. You can't, you can't go Speaking past of the, costumes, the costume montage.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's so much fun um, to see each of the Runaways try on different costumes and, like, try on a certain kind and then have everyone be like, absolutely not. Try again.
0: Let's be real. It is a commentary <laughs> yes. on some of the most ridiculous, like, upsetting revealing costumes for women uh, of the 80s and 90s there's one that Nico puts on and then there's there's one that Molly puts on both of the all the reactions are perfect and I'm glad this is in a comic I'm glad we published this I'm glad we said it's so fun yeah. so great and so spot on
1: and it's it's really fun in a meta way because I just know That Chris Anka was specifically put on this book so that he could have the most fun with these costumes in designing them because that's like one of his like many, many, many talents. I was thinking of Chris when reading Invaders actually because of his work with Chip Zdarsky on I believe Star-Lord?
0: Mm-hmm. And, oh yeah, a lot of shirtless Peter Quill yeah, up in there Exactly oh, yeah.
1: um, Speaking of Beef Kings thinking a ton about his work And now seeing like all the That was one of the things that he brought so amazingly and 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 uh, has been carried on beautifully throughout this entire run. But when Chris first started out with issue number one in this book was giving these characters such amazing, like authentic costuming. And so having him back for this issue just works beautifully to see, like I said, how this team jumps into this Doc Justice and the J team superhero corner of their world is so much fun it's really cool to see what's rumbling under the surface how it's all moving forward but yeah like i said you know it's taken one of the best teams taking one of the best books and and putting this really really fun superhero spin on it in a way that is kind of unfamiliar to them and it's great okay next up we have savage sword of conan number 11 and this is written by roy thomas uh hello Uh, with pencils by Alan Davis, hello again, Uh, inks by Cam Smith, colors by Chris Sotomayor, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I mean, I don't think I need to say much more after reading those credits. I'm such an amazing creative team mixed in with a character that I think naturally lends himself to a – you know, knowing like when this when Conan the character emerged, I think it just pairs beautifully with Roy and Alan, and like taking advantage of the big like bombastic, huge action and art and everything that goes on in a story like this. There's a part where Conan is essentially like tied up onto a tree, and his like arms are like tied to different branches of the tree in kind of a T shape, and then he just like goes like. Ugh! And I loved the sound effect that's done, which is rack uh, as he literally just rips the branches off of the tree and then just starts beating the hell out of guys with like branches that are tied to his arms. It is like the most Conan the Barbarian thing ever ever. And fits beautifully in a Savage Sword story like this. As we continue on and journey down certain pathways, journey down into certain tunnels and caves with Conan and the supporting cast that is alongside him at the moment, it is another one of these kind of great, like, analysis of, like, the relentlessness of this character, which is what makes him so much fun.
0: Real quick, Roy Thomas... Over 150 issues of Conan written, you know, like 115 consecutive and then another 40 or so over the year. Like after that, there's few people who know Conan like he does. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's it's fascinating. It's great. It's like a, a gift that we get to have him do a new story
1: yeah it's one of those things where i was thinking like at some point in the interceding years he must have thought oh it would be awesome to have conan tied up to a tree and then he just rips the tree apart with his sheer force of will and strength i'd like and- to imagine
0: he's like <laughs> cooking eggs he's like huh yeah <laughs> put that away for one day that day has come yeah all right, let's move on. We are into our Star Wars part of the show with Star Wars number 74. This is written by Greg Pak with art by Phil Noto, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one, we're getting towards the end of this run of Star Wars as we move to a new era of, of all the Star Wars books, of the story that we're telling. And there's a moment in here of C-3PO interacting with the rest of the crew he's in this mission with Chewbacca helping these rock people. Uh, and he's like having to do a little bit of like improvisation, which is just so much fun. And, you know, all the stories are starting to come together. You've got Luke doing his little bit of Jedi training, quote unquote, uh, on, you know, over here, you've got Leia and Han over, over there working on some spy stuff. And then you've got 3PO and Chewie on this rock planet. And it gets to a point where like, Oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. Like the end is just ramped up, ramped up, ramped up. It's, it's coming. The end is coming. Yeah. Man, it's a friggin' great book. All right, one more Star Wars from me this week. It is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order Dark Temple number four. When is the video game coming out? It's really soon, right? Oh my God. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, it's like less than a week. I have to finish Outer Worlds so that I can bug someone to give me a <laughs> copy uh, of Jedi Fallen Order so that I can play that in the middle of the night. Uh, oh <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be great. Anyway, this is the book that ties into the new game. It is written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Paolo Villanelli, colors by Arif Prianto, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. There's a moment in here that I really, really love, a Jedi sort of aha moment where the two Jedi, the Master and the Padawan, are talking about something. The Master has told Sarah, the, the Padawan, to don't come in here. Don't follow me. And, of course, she's brash. She's figuring everything out. She follows him. A whole bunch of events go on. People die. There's action. There's all a crazy adventure. He saves her life. And he's like, I told you not to follow me in here. And she's like, but you saved my life. He's like, but you coming in here means – that there was no one outside protecting the people outside. And there was no one outside protecting those people it means that the bad guys got in here. The bad guys got in here and they did this. And like this uh, like sort of sequence of events is something that I think is so, that that Jedi mind is thinking, how do you do the most good yeah. wi- without t- without telling someone why you're doing it? That's something that, you know, the Jedi always just sort of like, no, you got to do this. Yeah. Just, just do, trust me. And you're like, no, I'm not going to trust you. Tell me why. And like, no, don't worry about it. But he doesn't tell you. And then it comes back around and bites them both on the tuchus. It's a fun story. It's cool. There's big action. There's like running and yelling and blasting and all the Jedi and and Star Wars stuff you could ask for.
1: Totally. Last Star Wars book this week is Star Wars Target Vader number five. This is the penultimate issue of this limited series, and it's written by Robbie Thompson with art by Chris Bolson, Roberto De Salvo, and Marco Faya, with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This has not only been a great story about, of course, the titular Darth Vader, but a really, really great story and examination of Valence, the bounty hunter. That emerges, of course, from classic Star Wars comics, now in the realm of Star Wars legends, and has been brought into the fold of canonical Star Wars stories in the modern day in such a cool way. We see how he becomes kind of this cyborg half droid, half man figure. We get a ton of backstory in that way, which is really, really, really cool because it's not just a relentless, like, chase story. It is in a certain way, but it's also a great look at this character who has so much Star Wars history. And we've been getting to know him better and better throughout the last, I don't know, maybe year or so. But it's really cool. And completely allows you to sympathize and empathize with this character in different ways, ways that I personally didn't know were possible. And then to see how the story twists and turns and evolves into something that I didn't think it was going to evolve into, was really, really cool. Robbie's one of the best Star Wars writers in comics. He gets it. He knows how to tell a Star Wars story. And I think this is a really excellent example of that. I'm super psyched to see how it ends.
0: And there's a cool little tie to, uh, pun intended, tie to the TIE Fighter series that yeah. we recently did it was Jody Hauser and there's some of the characters like I was reading, I was like, ooh, yeah. wait, should I go back and retie? Like, was he part of right. like, uh it was yeah, it yeah. was really neat little threads that were there if you knew, but were not forced down your throat. It was just like yeah. this is a connected universe. Here you go. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. All right. My last book of the week is also my Second pick of the week. It is unbeatable Squirrel Girl number 50, and I'm so pissed off that it's done. I'm angry at Ryan North, at Derek Charm, at Will uh, Moss, at Sarah Brunstead, those two editors, angry at Rico Renzi, I'm angry at Erica Henderson, all of them for taking my beautiful Squirrel Girl away. This book is perfect, and I'm going to miss it so much. Mm -hmm. It is very upsetting to me. But that is a huge sort of theme of the book. I don't want to be the one telling you, well, this is what they were talking about. They like went through and had this amazing story. Of course, Squirrel Girl and her friends were up against terrible odds. Something happens to help turn the tide in here. That thing is tremendous. If you've read all the Squirrel Girl issues, it makes sense. It's really fun. It's a big, big thing. But what it like does is gives us a sense of closure mm-hmm. to the whole story and this wonderful sense of hope of moving on and moving forward. And It's kind of the best way for a comic book to finish a run. Mm-hmm. You know, most comics don't make it to 50. Most comics change creators, you know, constantly, like, you know, without their own choice. This book was able to continue on for really, as they tell us, over 1,200 pages, over 58 issues in a graphic novel, and all this, all this other stuff telling the story of friendship and hope and love and positivity and like trying to talk to someone first before fighting them it's just this like great lesson i was thinking about i was thinking about this run as i was finishing this issue and i only have so much room in my house for collections yeah. and, and and you know stuff i keep and i'm like i guess i i have to go through all my long boxes in storage and find all my squirrel girl collections because I want them on the shelf for that day to come when my daughter, even before, like if I start reading to her, I want to be able to read Squirrel Girl. To her. Yeah. I want her to then grow up, be able to read Squirrel Girl. And it is one of those books that means so much to so many people. And there's letters in here and there's photos and people who have read this over the last five years and have grown up with it or people who came into comics because of it. It means a lot. It is... As I said, it's like the perfect ending to a to something you don't want to end, but I'm glad they were able to do it the way they did. And, of course, there will be more Squirrel Girl comics. She's a great character, but, man, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's
1: yeah. beautiful. Couldn't end on a nicer note. I, I did a, a uh, an interview with Ryan North about not just this issue, but, like, the entire Squirrel Girl experience for him, which is on Marvel.com right now, uh, and just his thoughts on the subject and – how tight knit a crew the entire Squirrel Girl creative team has become it was uh, a really, really fantastic talk. So, such a pleasure to to speak with him and, and hear his thoughts on all of it.
0: Yeah, and if if you've never read Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, go to Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, it's you can read yeah. fifty two issues or so on the service right now. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get through all those, hopefully, you'll yeah. all the rest will be added. Yeah,
1: yeah. Man, such good stuff. Okay, the last book this week is X-Men number two. It's written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Laniel Francis Yu, inks by Jerry Alanguilan, colors by Sunny Go, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. As has been said about X-Men, each issue, Cyclops takes a different crew of heroes across the Marvel Universe, across Earth, across wherever they need to go to do some superhero business. That's the idea of this book. That's what's going down this issue. We have Cyclops, we have young Cable, and we have Prestige. It's really cool in such a great character way to see the different ways that, like, essentially Cyclops' is kids through very wild, timey-wimey, crazy Marvel Universe business, like to see how they interact with him is just so interesting and so cool and I think reveals a lot about them as characters, reveals a lot about their histories, about the relationship between them and Cyclops the relationship with the rest of the X-Men. It's really, really interesting stuff. This issue, as I have said maybe two or three times ever before, and it's a very high compliment in my mind, is kind of reminded me a little bit of the movie Annihilation, which is to say that there is a kind of a, a technicolor neon like biological strangeness about it there's something unsettling going on there's something really different that they're encountering and not just that in terms of like the setting and the animals the floor of the fauna that this trio encounters in this issue but they run into a certain figure a a someone I'll say and it is just the definition of chilling unsettling unbelievable art by this creative team it's written in a way that is of course on its own really really unique and like I said unsettling but the way it's visualized is crazy and I feel like this is the exact kind of nightmare stuff that is the kind of thing it's like you like wake up in the middle of the night and is standing in your friggin' bedroom corner and your life is never the same, it is just realized so, so beautifully in the most horrific way. And to to follow a bunch of different threads of what's going on here, not just what's going on with Cyclops but or this individual action-adventure, but the threads of what's going on in relation to the rest of the Marvel Universe in relation to the rest of the Dawn of X books. And then to follow this certain someone in this issue and how that ties into the rest of it is a big wow moment there's nothing i can say that people haven't already said about don of x about x-men about how incredible it is about the mutant mastermind jonathan hickman but this is another excellent entry into this major major landmark moment for the mutants heck yeah yeah okay that's what we have for individual issues on sale this week For collections on sale, we have Adventures of the X-Men Rites of Passage, Amazing Spider-Man Masterworks Volume 21, Savage Avengers Volume 1, City of Sickles, Star Wars Age of Resistance Heroes, X-Factor Epic Collection X Animations, X-Men Milestones Fatal Attractions.
0: On Marvel Unlimited, I wanted to point out Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number six. That is the Spider-Bite issue oh yeah it's a single issue done in one story read it just read it yeah. just go right now and read yeah. it also star wars age of rebellion boba fett which is great boba fett Boba Fett. Boba Fett. And uh, <laughs> on the backlist stuff that we've added in, some issues of Power Man and Iron Fist 90 through 107. A bunch of these, most of them were written by Kurt Busiek. There's some Dennis Cowan art in there, some Ernie Chan art, and there's some very young Mike Mignola inks wow. over Ernie Chan's art in there, which is Super cool. Check that out. That's like 1983, 1984. He's a little baby Mike Mignola. <laughs> uh, soon he would be going to be friggin' Mike Mignola. Yeah, y'all. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, of course, we'll have all the list of everything that is out this week on themarvel.com. And uh, I think that about wraps it up, Tucker. Yeah. All righty. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by MR Daniel with help from Jorge Estrada. Our development manager is Lauren Wiener, and Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your yours.